I'm just curious. How many of you have ever been to Bethlehem? Would you just raise your hand? Hold up. Just oh, hang on. Let me see this. This is more than I would have thought. What? Hang on. I'm moving around here, moving around here. Okay. Well, how many of you would like to go to Bethlehem? Raise your hand. Or oh, I'd have a plane right outside the building here when this thing is over. You know, I love Bethlehem. I've been there so many times. And of course, like in 2019, I told this later in my sermon, but I think I'll just say it now. In 2019, now picture this. Today, the, the population of Bethlehem, of those who actually live there, is about 25,000 people. That's a very small little town. In 2019, 1.9 million people went and visited Bethlehem. Now, you just picture that, 25,000 population, 1.9 million people. And, of course, almost all of that 1.9 million people went to Bethlehem to go to the church of nativity where Jesus was born. That's the big thing in Bethlehem. Now, that's the spiritual part. Now, this may surprise you, but I also have the flesh part. Any of you have the flesh part? Yeah, I have the spiritual part. Well, now, I, the number one thing is to go down into the cave where Jesus supposedly was born. But Bethlehem, to me, I'll tell you another thing I love about Bethlehem. You, you, would you like to just know? Would you just show a little interest like you would like to know? In Israel, my second favorite eating place is in Bethlehem. Doesn't that disappoint you? <laughs> it's, it's on the square. And, oh, I just love it, love it, and love it. My, you say, well, what's your first favorite eating place in Bethlehem? Well, first, it'd be Jericho. We have this place we go in Jericho that's just absolutely unbelievable. But be that as it may, Bethlehem, when, you, when I just sing about it, I hear people singing about it, or I read it in the Bible, I think about it. Bethlehem, I mean, lights go off in me. It's so very exciting. Now, interestingly, uh, I receive... I have people I know in Bethlehem that I've dealt with over these many years taking groups there. And, of course, at Christmas time, they send me text messages. They send me emails, etc. But I have one or two people that call me from Bethlehem on my cell phone. And I know when that call is from Bethlehem, I don't understand this because all the rings on my cell phone are the same. You know, some people have your family one ring and or this person. Well, all, I'd, I'd get so mixed up, I wouldn't know. So all of my rings are the same, except Bethlehem. I didn't set it this way. For whatever reason, when the phone call comes from Bethlehem, my phone has this, I'd just say this weird, crazy ring. And I thought about this morning in this service getting a phone call from Bethlehem, but I thought it probably would not work. The hours are so different, be that as it may. But I, when I hear that special ring, I know that I'm getting a cell phone call from Bethlehem. Now, if you'll open your Bible this morning to the Gospel of Luke in chapter 2, we're going to read about Bethlehem. And in Luke chapter 2, when I just say Luke chapter 2, in my heart, in my mind, there goes off a special ring because I'm about to read about the birth of Jesus Christ. We're going to look in Luke chapter number two, and we're going this morning to see a message from Bethlehem about the birth 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to read these 20 verses more than I would normally read, but it's, it's the Christmas story, and I think it will do us well. Luke chapter 2, verse 1, the Bible says, It came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with a child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, in verses 8 through 12, we have an angelic announcement of the Messiah's birth. Verse 8. Now, there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For this is born to you this day in the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill toward men. So it was, while the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now there were they, when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the prophets, or by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. So what we have here, we have a message from Bethlehem. And I want to give you what I think is the big picture message from Bethlehem. So if you have a bulletin or you have a little piece of paper somewhere, you might want to write this message down. When I read those 20 verses, and it's like a ring goes off inside of me. And that ring says this, that, that God uses ordinary people in ordinary places, in ordinary circumstances, to do extraordinary things. Now that's wordy. <laughs> that's long, but that, that's, that's it. Let me, let me just say it again. What is the message of Bethlehem? Is that God, think about this, He uses ordinary people, that's you, that's me, in ordinary places right where we live, in ordinary circumstances, <laughs> most every day of our life, 
The pandemic may have changed it, but we live in ordinary circumstances to do what? To do extraordinary things. So that's what I want us to think about this morning. So let's begin this way. First of all, God uses ordinary people to do his work. And the devil would never, ever want you to hear that. He would never, ever, ever want you to believe that. But the fact of the matter is God uses ordinary people to do his work. And we see it beautifully in the Christmas story. Now, I'm going to ask you to do something. If you could put a marker or a bulletin or whatever where we are in Luke, go back in the Old Testament to the book of Micah. Turn back. It's hard to find. My suggestion would be just start with the last book in the Old Testament and kind of keep backing up a little bit. It's a very small book. I could say it's right in front of the book of Jonah, <laughs> but Jonah's hard to find on. The book of Micah. So you'd be finding that, and as you do, I, I want to say why I'm asking you to do that. When we think about the Christmas story, think about God using ordinary people. We, we can't start in Luke chapter 2. We need to back up about 730 or 40 years to this prophet Micah because Micah, this prophet of God, very ordinary person, a contemporary of Isaiah and, uh, and Hosea, he's one of the minor prophets. In the Old Testament, you have major prophets and minor prophets. Both are equally important in their message. The major prophets, their books are long, like uh, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel and Ezekiel. These are major. They're, they're large in length. But then you have these little small books. They're called the minor prophets. Equally important, but they are much smaller books. Now, this prophet Micah, if you found the book, turn to chapter 5. And you see why I've backed us up to this. In Micah chapter 5 in verse 2, the prophet Micah said, But you, Bethlehem, there it is, 735, 40 years before the birth of Christ, the prophet Micah said he's going to be born in Bethlehem. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah. Ephrathah makes clear which Bethlehem is being spoken about. In Israel, there are two Bethlehems, one up in Galilee and then the Bethlehem down in Judea. And this is the one he's talking about. He says, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, <laughs> the New Living Translation says, uh, you are only a small village, like about 1,400 people living at this time of when Jesus would be born. He says, though you're little among the thousands of Judah, Yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel whose goings forth are from of old from everlasting. Talking about the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's a point. Long before the birth of Jesus, hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, this very ordinary prophet, Micah. You say, why do you say ordinary? Well, go back to the chapter 1, Micah chapter 1, verse 1. Let me just read you a verse. said, the word of the Lord came to Micah of Morsheath. Have you ever heard of Morsheath? <laughs> no. no. Morsheath is very, very interesting. It's about 25 miles southwest of Jerusalem. It's, it's, it's between the Dead Sea and the Mediterranean Sea. It's out in the desert. You and I would call it no man's land, the Judean wilderness. <laughs> well, that's where Micah is from. 
And, and, and it's so very interesting. And, and he lived in the days of these kings, it said, and he had this prophecy. But, but Micah is a tremendous example of God using an ordinary person to do something in God's plan, in God's work. But then I think about Mary and Joseph. God uses ordinary people to do his work. I mean, Joseph, a carpenter in Nazareth, not, not the son of a priest, not the son of a prophet, just, just a carpenter in, in Nazareth. And here's Mary, another ordinary person. I mean, God, she was a young, young teenage girl living in Nazareth, a very ordinary place. And, and then I think about the shepherds in Luke chapter 2. We read the Christmas story. The shepherds are all part of that. The shepherds were viewed as the poor of the earth. I mean, they just lived out among the animals. They lived among the sheep. They, they had little tents, and as the sheep would move on the hillsides from one place to another, the tents would just move along with them, kind of had mobile homes like in these tents. They're very poor people, very ordinary people. But God used these ordinary people as part of the birth of the Messiah. God uses ordinary people in His work. Now, fast forward our day. So many examples. Uh, Billy Graham would be a great example. He's with the Lord now, but gracious, how God used Billy Graham all over the world to share Christ in the Crusades. Born on a dairy farm in North Carolina. I mean, Billy Graham didn't grow up in, in some aristocracy. He didn't grow up from a family that had tremendous formal education, guys born, Billy Graham born on a dairy farm. I, someone that you've had face-to-face -face contact personally, Dr. R.T. Kendall, who preaches in our church every year. Well, born in Ashland, Kentucky. <laughs> I'm not being rude about Ashland, Kentucky, but let me just say it this way. It's Ashland, Kentucky. Even Dr. Kendall says, you know, it's, it's just there. It's a little spot on the map. This man, he has preached and taught and helped people know about Jesus, not only verbally, but in all of his books, still does. Very, really a very ordinary man. Uh, it, it's just, it's just mind-boggling. And, uh, you know, as I, as I think about this, it, this is what the devil would have you not believe. I'm sharing something this morning that the devil does not want you to hear. And he surely doesn't want you to believe it. You, like myself, we're ordinary people. God basically, generally speaking, uses ordinary people to do his work. Now, there are exceptions. There are exceptions. But by and large, I mean, I didn't go this route, and I won't have time to go much. But I just thought about my own life, looking back. Now, number one, I've been blessed in my life. My life's been very impacted by some very extraordinary people for which I'm very thankful. But having said that, they're few, but they're there. But I look back on my life about people that really impacted my life. And the people that I've thought about even during this week, very ordinary people. 
two Sunday school teachers when I was growing up, one little primary boy. We don't even have primaries anymore. We used to have, you know, creepers and toddlers and whatever they were. But I had this lady, her, my teacher was named Ms. Ruth Cooper. And she inspired me as a little boy to memorize Bible verses. And then when I became like a, like a middle school student out in the little country church, Mr. George Tucker was my Sunday school teacher. He was a butcher in the meat market, in the little meat market, in the little area where we live. But he was my Sunday school teacher. But he impacted my life. And I could just think about the people who've impacted your life. Most of them are just ordinary people that God has used in very special ways. And I'm saying to you, the devil does not want you to believe that. And it's as old as Moses. It's not a new plan. It's not a new trick the devil has. When God told Moses, go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go so they can worship me. Do you remember at the burning bush, Exodus chapter 3, Moses heard that and Moses said back to God, you ought to read it. It's in verse 11. Who am I? What was he saying? He said, God, who in the world am I to, to go to Pharaoh? He was saying, hey, God, I'm, I'm, I'm just an ordinary guy. You need somebody super to do a job like this. Well, that's just not how it works. It's very, very interesting. You ought to write this scripture down. You can read it later. But in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, all down about verse 26, 27, 28. It's very, very interesting. The Bible says God does not call many that are wise. Now, the Bible doesn't say God doesn't call any that are wise. But he says, generally speaking, God does not call many that are wise or noble or mighty or influential by worldly standards. He says, no, that's not how it works. He says, no. If God did, and they did something, they would get the glory. And God says, no, I don't do it that way. I just call ordinary people, and they can do through me, me through them, extraordinary things. And then God says, I get the glory. So I just say to you today, if you're like me, you'd have to say, I'm just an ordinary person. Hear me. You can do extraordinary things in God's work, being an ordinary person, and God gains the glory from it. Now, if you'll go back in Luke, where I asked you to put a little mark a moment ago, God uses ordinary people to do his work. God uses ordinary places. Places. Luke chapter 2, the Christmas story. <laughs> All right. Bethlehem. Now, that's an ordinary place. I mean, you would have thought, think about it, the Messiah would have been born maybe in Jerusalem or maybe Rome. But no, this little ordinary village, Bethlehem. See, God, God uses ordinary places like this. And then, you know, I just read this whole story, and I just think about, you know, we we sometimes the devil makes us believe that that if you live in an ordinary place, you you really can't do anything much in God's work. That's a lie 
from the devil. Now, I was thinking about our church. Look, we, we're, we're in an ordinary place, whether you live in Pasadena or Friendswood or Deer Park or La Porte or, or Clear Lake or wherever. I mean, look, we, we just live in an ordinary place, but this church, let's talk about our church. We, we're in an ordinary place, and the devil would have us believe, hey, we just, you know, we're just ordinary people, and we're in an ordinary place. We go to a church in an ordinary place, and there's not really much we can do in God's work. That's just absolutely the farthest thing from the truth. And the proof of the matter is how God uses ordinary people in this ordinary place to do His work. And I just think of so many things. I think of so many things. Like in just a few months ago, the bad hurricane in Louisiana. Well, our people, just in about 10 days above their tithes and offerings, gave like $125,000, $130,000 to be sent to the families. We sent all that money to families and uh, to help them try to get back on their feet. And we're still getting letters back from that. You know, I, I think like at Thanksgiving, uh, our, our church gave an extra $10,000 to help Pasadena Community Ministry buy dinners for people that would not have had Thanksgiving dinner on Thanksgiving Day. I mean, we're just ordinary people. We're not all a bunch of rich people. This is not some rich church. No, this is just a church made up of ordinary people. I've said that so many times. Now, some have more than others. True. But the fact of the matter is, it's just all of us together. See, together we can do more than we can ever do splintered apart. But we can do so many things. I think of our radio ministry, touching lives of people all over the United States as well as Houston. Now, you talk about an ordinary place. You ought to visit sometime. You ought to, when this pandemic gets over, don't do it now, but come to the church office when the pandemic's over and let us show you the headquarters for our radio ministry. Now, our radio ministry is humongous. Our radio minister is humongous. John just showed me a, a, a letter, a card that he received. He was just opening some mail between services from somebody on the other side of Houston. We've never, we don't know who the, we have a person's name, but we, we don't know who they are. We, we don't know them personally. And they were just telling about how the program of a week ago had blessed them. And then he said, then I've got this other letter here where people are sending things in and sending some gifts to pay for the radio program. But I'm just saying, if you could see this, like you have John and you have Rick Lipsy and Brent, and, and uh, they have this little room down there, and it has equipment in it, but it's not, it's not like CNN, it's not like Fox, it's not like, it's not like uh, ABC or NBC, but it doesn't matter, it's just an ordinary place, but what goes out of that place is not an ordinary place. I think of streaming. I'm, I marvel how many people, because of the pandemic, are worshiping with us beyond what normally worship with us, well, we're just an ordinary place, and we've got ordinary people, and we've got equipment to do it. And But yet, I mean, it's not like perfect, but it's just ordinary people in an ordinary place doing what they can. And I could go on and on and on about it. 
two weeks ago or three weeks ago perhaps now, our church, because people have been faithful to give in addition to their tithe to the budget of the church to beyond these walls, we were able to send checks totaling $98,000 to 16 or 17 of our ministries and missionaries that we support monthly to help them during this difficult time that they're having. I could just go on and on. Here's an interesting thing. Since we started this stand-up invitation, we can't have come-forward invitation. We're just an ordinary place. But over a, give or take over 100 people, we don't know how many decisions have been made, but during this period of time, over 100 people have gone to the family room to talk to ministers that have made decisions. Others, during this period of time, have made decisions online this past week. I talked to a dear lady who lives in Alvin who said to me, I stood last Sunday and trusted Jesus to be my Savior. I live in Alvin presently, but I'm moving to Deer Park, but I want to go on and make my decision public and be part of the church now. I'm just saying, folks, don't you ever think because we're some ordinary place, we can't do work for God. Could I have an amen to that? And we, hear me, means you. We're not just talking about what the church can do. You are the church. Together, this is what we can do. God uses ordinary people in ordinary places. Now listen to this. In ordinary circumstances to do his work. Now, most all of our circumstances are ordinary. I look at the Christmas story in Luke 2. Well, I see all, all sort of ordinary circumstances. For example, Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus, not Augustus, Caesar Augustus, uh, he wants to, uh, he needs some money to run his government. So what does he do? He does the same thing our leaders do. They make us pay what? Taxes. Well, they didn't have social security numbers. So what happened? He said, okay, I want everybody to go back to the home of their ancestors and register so you can be taxed. Well, that was just an ordinary, and there's nothing unusual about that. It's normal. And then Joseph and Mary, they leave Nazareth, and they journey 90 miles, a tough journey to, on foot to, to Bethlehem. But look, that was the home of his ancestors. Ordinary situation. But listen carefully. God was doing something that was not ordinary. He was doing something extraordinary. He was moving all these people around ordinary circumstances, but a wonderful thing was going to happen. And the angel tells us, if you look in Luke chapter 2 and verse 11, it says, there's born to you this day in the city of David, a savior, which is Christ the Lord. So God did an extraordinary thing in these ordinary circumstances. Now listen, most all of our living every day is ordinary circumstances. Pandemic has changed that much, but generally speaking, if you think about it, life is just day after day of ordinary circumstances. You say, how can I do anything for God in ordinary circumstances? Quickly, in conversations you have with people, in family gatherings, in social gatherings, in the workplace, you say, what am I to do? <laughs> Talk about God some. Talk about God some. All we talk about is vaccine, Trump, 
Biden, politics. I mean, we're cons- God's just like, in our conversation, it's so easy. Just share some verse that God has used to help you. Share some way God's answered a prayer. Bring God up in your just ordinary circumstances. I mean, I'm not suggesting you be a preacher every time you get around somebody. But as Christian people, I mean, God's the biggest and best thing we have. Could I have an amen to that? Well, we ought to talk about Him. Share the difference He makes. I listened to Dottie yesterday as I was upstairs in my study working. She was calling three or four families that are going through difficult things hither and yonder. And, uh, and she was just talking to them about how the Bible helps with this and that and praying with them. And I thought, my gracious, we don't even have to leave the house to do this. But here's the bottom line. Yes, God uses ordinary people in ordinary places and ordinary circumstances, do extraordinary things. But here's the bottom line. It's in verse 11. And here's what it is. The Messiah, the Savior, was born in Bethlehem. Now here's the question. Has he been born in you? The fact is, Micah said he would be. He was. Done deal. Where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. But that's not the big question for you. That's history. The big question for you is, has he been born in you? And you say, well, how can I know? How can I be sure? Look back in verse 11, Luke 2, verse 11, for this day is born to you. This day, there was a time Christ was born in Bethlehem. There's born to you this day in the city of David. There was a place where Christ was born. Now listen to me carefully or you'll, or, or you'll miss the point. And I do not want to confuse anybody. If Christ has been born in you, there was a time. Now you may not remember it on the clock. You may not and don't have to know the month. But you remember a time in your life, and there was a place. Now, you may not know the just exact little spot, but there was some time and some place. If Christ has been born in you, there's been a time he was, been a place. For me, my brief testimony, on Sunday morning as a little boy at church, I felt something I didn't understand that inside of me. And after church, I told my mother, and she listened and talked to me. And she suggested we get the pastor to come, and he did, an ordinary person. He was a postman by day. He was a bivocational pastor. His name was Preacher Wynn. And in our home, he explained to me the best I could understand. And I prayed and asked Jesus to come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins and make me a Christian. Now listen to me carefully, folks. If Christ has been born in you, not a second on the clock. Now you don't have to remember that. Not a month of the year. I don't even remember that. 
But I'll tell you what I do remember. I remember that Sunday morning. And I remember talking to my mother about it. And I remember Preacher Wynn coming. And I remember praying my prayer. And I don't remember all the words I prayed, but I remember that as well as if I were praying it today with my mother and Preacher Wynn. I'm asking you this morning, has Christ been born in you? I'm talking to you about your soul. I'm talking to you about eternity out there. Folks, listen, we want to know when we die in this life, we're going to live forever with God in heaven. Amen? That's what you want to know. See, we know we're going to die in this life. I know that, but I'm not going to die. I'll die here. But when I do that, I'm coming out of this body. You want to do the same thing, and you want to live forever with him. So I want you to bow with me this morning, heads bowed and hearts open to God. Now this morning, if you say, well, Pastor, it's not that I've not believed in God. I wouldn't be at church if I didn't believe in God. But the truth of the matter is, no, Pastor, I've not. I've not. Christ has not been born in me. Not in my heart. And others would say, Pastor, I think so, but I'm not 100% clear. Oh, listen, let's, let's settle that today. This is, this is the time to settle it. You're in the place to settle it. So with your heads bowed and your hearts open to God, would you pray a prayer something like this? Just say, Lord Jesus, I, I, I understand I'm a sinner. I admit that. I repent of my sins. I ask you to come into my life. Forgive me of my sins, God. Cleanse me. Make me a Christian. And I trust you, Jesus, to do that. For others, it would say, you know, I'm 98, 99% sure when I die, I'll go to heaven. But there is this little 1% or 2% not that sure. Listen, this is the time and this is the place to move that to 100%. So pray something like this. Say, Lord God, maybe I'm saved. If so, I thank you. But God, I must know 100%. And so God, if I'm not, I'm asking this morning, forgive me of my sins, God. Come into my life. Make me a Christian. I settle my salvation this morning, God. In Jesus' name.